You're listening to GlendaleCC.org and to the Glendale Christian KY podcast on Apple Podcasts as Senior Minister Adam Hale closes out our sermon series, Big Church. Thank you for listening, and as always, we hope that this message encourages you in your walk to love and follow Jesus. Have a great week. Today we're uh, finishing our sermon series uh, called Big Church. And the reason that we've been calling this series Big Church is not because we're a big church, but because the church is a really big deal. And in the book of Acts, where we've been looking at, it explains how the church launched. And we've been asking this question, how in the world did did the message of Jesus, how in the world did the message of Jesus get out of the first century? How did the message of Jesus, how did the gospel survive the first century? How in the world do we even know the name of Jesus? Because when you look at history, we really should not even know the story of Jesus. There's no good reason why the message of Jesus, the story of Jesus, has made it to the 21st century. But yet here we are. 2,000 years later, in a church, talking about this name of Jesus. And so we've been looking at the book of Acts, and the book of Acts explains how the church launched. And what we've said so far is this, that the church launched 2,000 years ago, not as an institution, not how we know it, not as a building, that the church launched as a movement. That about 120 years ago, uh, excuse me, that about 2,000 years ago, 120 people went to the streets of Jerusalem. And they they said, God has done something unique among us. That a man named Jesus was crucified and he rose from the dead. And we have seen him. We are eyewitnesses to this. We, We saw that he was put on a tree. We saw that he was nailed to a cross. We saw that he was taken down. He was put into a tomb and that he rose from the dead. We have physically seen him. We are eyewitnesses to this. And we we saw this, and people flooded the streets with this message, and Jews in Jerusalem embraced this message. They embraced this idea that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, that He was the Messiah. And within a few weeks, thousands of Jewish people embraced this idea that Jesus was who He said He claimed to be. And then because of that, people outside of Jerusalem began to flood to Jerusalem. And suddenly, there was this tension, there was this... uh, um, imbalance of power between the the Roman authorities and the Jewish temple there there was this there there was this uh, disruption of of power because this message of of this movement it disrupted the lifestyle of these Jewish authorities and this Roman government and so these two groups they got together and they organized a persecution and so one of the one of the ringleaders of this persecution Saul of Tarsus we talked about him we told his story he became kind of the, the official inquisitor of this persecution. And so he would go to Jerusalem and he would imprison these followers of the way because it was known as the way at that time. It wasn't called Christianity yet. And so he would go to Jerusalem and he would imprison them and he would bring them back to Jerusalem. And, and in some cases he would put them to death. And as he did this, right in the middle of his story, something miraculous happened. He had this conversion experience. Remember, he was blinded by a light. He literally, he fell off his donkey and he saw the light. And he becomes known as Paul. And he becomes a a believer in this very Jesus that he did not believe in. And he becomes the number one spokesperson for this new thing that eventually became known as Christianity. the, The thing that becomes known as the church. And then as we continued in in the story, he began to travel around the outside of of Judea and to share the story with Romans and and Greek-speaking people that God had done something unique, that God had sent His Son into the world to address your sin, to address your failures, to, to address the fact that you have broken the law and that He had sent His Son to die for your sin. And now Gentiles began to embrace this, this thing called the way, which would eventually be called Christianity which would eventually become known as the church. That's how this whole thing got started. 
And it would uh, eventually just keep rolling and, and it would roll out to all par- different parts of the world, to, to all different parts of the known world. And suddenly people from all different nationalities, all, part, all over the world, they would begin to embrace Jesus as their Savior. And then time went on, as you know, because of your college history classes and because of things that you heard in high school, and there were some very dark days in the church. There were some, there's just some dark, dark, dark days in the church, weren't there? There was this whole section in the Middle Ages where some horrible things happened, and they were done in the name of Jesus. The Crusades launched in the Middle Ages, and the Spanish Inquisition was done in the name of Jesus. And, and some very high-profile, tragic things happened as a part of the church. Some leadership just went awry and some theology went really bad and and people thought that they could buy their way into heaven they could they could all you know all the wealthy could send as much as they want and they could just pay for their indulgences and and they could be guaranteed a spot in heaven and there were some just very dark days in his in in the history and the story of the church but despite all of those high profile and notorious stories and parts of the church despite all of that There has always been a remnant. There has always been a group of people that got it. There's always been a group of people that understood that this is a mission, this is a movement. There's always been a group of people that understood it's not about a building, it's not about a liturgy, it's not about a style of worship, it's not about a preference, it's a movement. It's about a simple idea that transformed Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, that God has done something unique in our midst, and He sent His Son as a payment for our sins, and He raised Him from the dead. And so that gets us to today. That brings us to us. So I want to remind you of what James, the brother of Jesus, stood up at, at the end of the first church meeting. And we looked at this a few weeks ago, what he said. Here's how he concluded his portion of the, of the church business meeting. He said this, Acts chapter 15, verse 19. He said, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. In other words, he said, let's not complicate it. Let's not make it too formal. Let's, let's keep it simple. Let's, not, let's make it as easy as possible. Let's, let's make sure the cookies are on the lowest shelf possible, all right? Let, let's make it as easy as possible for people who are turning to God to understand that God has done something unique in our midst. And the reason I want to remind you of that is because there are groups of people in our neighborhoods, in our communities, people that we work with, people that we go to school with, maybe even people that we live with that nobody else is trying to reach with the gospel, People that feel like they're not good enough to be a part of the church. People that feel like they've got to clean up their act before they can be a part of the church. People that will never darken the door of the church because they're not good enough. And yet when you read the book of Acts, when, you, when we think about the message of Jesus, the, reason, the whole reason it survived the first century, the whole reason we know the story of Jesus, the whole reason we're even here talking about the name of Jesus, the reason it survived is because there was a group of people who were so extraordinarily bold and so extraordinarily confident they were willing to say things and to do things and just do things that had never been done and say things that were never said before and they just would not back down. They would not take no for an answer. And I want us, Glendale Christian Church, I want us as a church to be a part of that group, to be a part of that remnant, to be a part of that extension of what happened 2,000 years ago when the local church begun. And so what that means for us is that we might have to try some new things, that we might have to take some risk, that we might have to try different things to reach different groups of people, that if we're going to reach different people that people aren't trying to reach, that we might have to, to risk things that we've never risked before. And honestly, I'll tell you this, I would rather us go out on a limb and crash and burn 
to, than to not risk anything at all. I would rather us try and fail miserably. Honestly, I'm, I'm telling you, I would rather us try and fail miserably than for us to not try at all. To reach people with the gospel of Jesus. To, to go out and try and reach people that nobody else is thinking about. To reach people that nobody else wants. I would rather us try and reach those people and fail miserably doing it than for us to not try at all. But to do that, we might have to think about and think in ways that nobody else is thinking about. And that gets us to this moment. Because, because now, because of what you've already done, because of your generosity already, because of your hard work already, because of what you've been willing to risk already, I believe that we are uniquely positioned, if we'll continue to take risk, if we'll continue to be bold, if we'll continue to dream big, and when I say dream big, I mean we ought to dream so stinking big. As a church, we ought to have such so big stinking dreams. I'm talking about when we dream big, like um, we ought to have such big dreams that when we say there's no earthly way that this could happen without God's divine intervention. That's the kind of dreams I'm talking that we ought to have as a church. Because if we have those kind of dreams where we say it can't happen without God's intervention, then there's no way that we can take credit for it. Okay, God has to get the credit for it. Because we say, it can't happen without God's help. Well, okay, good. Because then God gets all the credit for it. If our dreams aren't that big, then our dreams are too small. Because if we can do it on our own, then we can take all the credit for it. All right? If, we can, if our dreams are so small that we can do it on our own, God, then we don't need God. I'm saying we need God's help. And we need to be able to give God all the credit and all the glory for it. So we need to dream so stinking big, so stinking big, that, that God gets all the credit for it. And, and I believe God will hear our prayers. But I believe if we will do that, if we will dream so stinking big, if we'll be so bold, I believe we are uniquely positioned for big opportunities. And last week we said that we are not only stewards of the message of eternal life, but we are stewards of the message of a better life. And with that comes influence. So we must steward our influence. We must leverage our influence into opportunities. We must, we must leverage our influence into opportunities to draw people to the gospel of Jesus. We must leverage our opportunities to draw people to the gospel of Jesus. Influence is a stewardship, okay? Influence is a stewardship. If you have influence, that's like having something in your hand. And you've got to decide what you're going to do with it. And we've all seen people use that kind of leverage to, to influence people to do something with it that they shouldn't have. We've all seen that. So we have to decide what we're going to do with our influence because influence is a stewardship. And by God's grace, and because of your hard work, and because of your generosity already, we as a church have a unique opportunity. And it's a stewardship. And to be good stewards, we've got to leverage it in a way that is completely God-honoring. So we're not going to rest. We can't. We can't rest. We can't coast. We can't pat ourselves on the back and just say, look at this beautiful building. Look at what God has already done. God has blessed us, and God is good, and God is good, and God has blessed us. All of those things are true. But we can't just sit here and rest on our laurels and say, hey, we're done. We're not. We can't do that. Our prayer simply needs to be this. God, you have positioned us with all of these assets, with all of these resources, and now that we have this opportunity, what would you have us to do with this? Now that you, how do we leverage this in a way that when our time is over, when, when we finally hand the baton of the local church over to the next generation, how do we hand it off in such a way that, that we have leveraged this to, to give to the next generation in a better way than it, what it was when it was given to us? How do we do that? How do we be good stewards of what you've allowed us as, as church leaders to, to give them more opportunity than what we've ever had before? 
And, and listen to me on this, because in order to do this, we all have to buy into this, okay? This is not a me thing, this is a we thing, okay? This is not me, this is we. I'll go back to the very first sermon I ever preached here. The very first message before I was ever hired as a senior minister here. The very first sermon I ever preached here when I talked about running to the roar. I said, I wanted to come here and do ministry with you, not for you. And I believe that we've done that. And God bless you. You have, you have followed my lead on some things. You have followed me when you followed a young minister who, for the most part, has had no clue what he's been doing most of the time. And just he's trying to navigate his way through this. And, and God bless you. You have, you have walked with me. And, and God bless you for that. But we, we're doing this together. And in order to do this together, in order for us to, to actually to reach those who have to be reached... It's got to be an all-scape. We've got to be all in together, okay? We've got to get our heads wrapped around the potential that we have as a church to reach those who are not here yet. And I know you're, you're going, well, we're in Glendale. All right, yeah, we are. We're in Glendale. And the population of Glendale is like 300 people. And we're a church of about 250 people. So there's not a lot of room for growth, right? Well, we're in Hardin County, and Hardin County is a big county. And Hodgenville is right next door, LaRue County. It's a big county, too. There's a lot of people. And guess what? There are a lot of people in these two counties that don't know Jesus. And guess what? There are a lot of churches in Hardin and LaRue County. And guess what? They're not full. They're not. Guess what? Every, if every single church in Hardin and LaRue County and the surrounding counties were full, guess what? There would still be people who didn't know Jesus in our midst. And, and we cannot rest until people in our communities know Jesus. And so for us to do that, for us to do that, everybody needs to get involved at some level. And at the beginning of this series, we talked about the boldness of the early church. And I asked you to pray about being bold. And some of you, you know, you're, you're good Christians. You're still wearing your Be Bold bracelets. And, and others of you have lost them. And, and some of you, you asked me to, next time I ordered them to buy them in man size um, because they're, they're tight on your wrist. And I, I promise I bought them in the biggest size possible. And so they don't fit you get a pass okay um and if that makes you feel guilty now because you don't have yours on there's still plenty more at the information desk and you can pick one up when you go out but remember a few sundays ago we stood up and, and it was uncomfortable and it was a little awkward for some of you and we prayed out loud god help us to be bold and exhibit your power amongst us in such a way that we would be bold that was the prayer of the first century church and if ever there was a time in, our, in the life of our church that we need to be bold and take risk, it's now. So I need you to do some things. In fact, I need you to do some things at a level that if you haven't, if you haven't done them before, then, then now's a good time to start. For those of you that have been on the periphery and you've been enjoying the show and you've got your parking space marked out and you know where to sit so that you can get out quick and your kids meet you in the back hall and, and you run for the parking lot and you beat all the Methodists out for lunch and, and you've got it all worked out, let me say this. I'm glad you're here. I, 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 am, I am thrilled that you're here every Sunday. I really am. And I say this with all love and compassion. We need more out of you. I love you, and I'm glad you're here. But we need more out of you. Because we need to take this thing to a whole other level. And we need you to be involved because we believe, we believe that everybody spends forever somewhere. We believe that Jesus is the hope of the world and we believe that the church isn't a building. It's not an institution. We believe that it's a movement and we need you to move with us, okay? And this is an opportunity. I'm just telling you, this is the opportunity that we as a body of Christ, we can't miss this. 
And so the question is, are we going to be good stewards? Or are we just going to be content with being a big church with lots of resources? Because let me be real honest with you, I'm not content with that. I'm not content to be a church where everybody comes in and we just do this thing called church and we sing the songs and we give our money and we get our check mark, we get our gold star for the day and we put it on the calendar and yay, I'm a good person. I'm not content with that. And I hope that you're not content with that either because I I hope that, that you're not either because we have an opportunity to make a real difference in the lives of people with the message of Jesus. Because the message of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, is powerful and it changes lives, it changes communities, it changes homes if we will simply take advantage of that opportunity. So here's what I need you to do. I need you to be bold in four areas. I need you to be bold in four areas. Number one, I need you to be bold in your invitations. I need you to be bold in your, in your invitations. So here's what I mean by that. I mean there are people that you've thought about inviting to some sort of event, some sort of environment, and you still haven't done it. And so it's time to ramp up your boldness, and I'll tell you why. And it's not so that we will get bigger. We're already big. We're we're statistically, we're bigger than 80% of churches in America. 80% of churches in America have an attendance of less than 200 people. So we're already statistically bigger than 80% of churches. It's not so that we'll get bigger. We're already big. It's because we need you to experience our church through the eyes and ears of a person that's far from God. Okay, we need you to invite people who are far from God to our church so that you will experience our church through the through the eyes and ears of a person who's far from God. And here's why. Because when you begin to experience church from that that perspective, it reminds you. It reminds you that there's a day coming when it's going to matter that you've been a part of the church. It will remind you that it, it will bring about that sense of urgency. The church sometimes loses its sense of urgency that, that there's a day coming when Jesus is coming back. We, we tend to take that for granted because we're Christians and we've been Christians for a long time. And so we tend to forget that there's a day coming when Jesus is coming back and it's going to matter or not whether or not you were a part of the bride of Christ. And there's a day coming when those who aren't a part of the church, it's going to make a big difference in their lives. It's going to make an eternal difference in their lives. And so we need to experience that. We need to be reminded of that from time to time, that there are people in our lives, there are people in our communities who who we know, who we go to work with, who we go to school with, who we live next door to, who aren't a part of the bride of Christ. And so we need to be inviting them to, to be a part of that. And so if we'll invite them, if we'll be if we'll see church through their eyes and through their ears, it will bring about that perspective. It will remind us that there are people out there. So we need to, we need to ramp up our, our invitations. And here's the thing, is that as you do that, we, we want to partner with you in that. We'll, we'll begin to take on some responsibility for, for helping you initiate those conversations about, about their faith and about their belief system. You invest in the lives of people around you that, that you love, that you play golf with, that you play tennis with, that you work with. And when it's appropriate, you, you invite them to an environment, to an event, to, to a service. And we'll, we'll help you in taking responsibility for starting the conversation in terms of a relationship with God and their belief system. But we just need you to be a little bit bolder. We need you to be bold in terms of your invitation. Not simply for the sake of that person that you're inviting, so that we as a congregation personally, at the individual, at the individual level, stay on task with what God has called us to do. Because here's the other reason. If we never invite people who are far from God, to our church, to be a part of the church. You know what happens? It's just a bunch of church people that come here. And when you say that, when you say that out loud, it doesn't sound like a bad thing, does it? 
It doesn't sound like a bad thing that, well, just a bunch of church people come to church. That doesn't sound like a bad thing, does it? But, remember what we talked about in our drifts? When, we, when it's just a bunch of church people that come to church, we drift toward only focusing on what we want. And guess what? It's not about what we want because there's a world out there that needs Jesus. And we can't cater to what we want as long as there are people out there who need Jesus. So we have to invite people so that we will stay on task and stay on mission. Secondly, I want you to be bold in your volunteering. I mean, some of you volunteer, and I want to walk around and hug all of our volunteers and just say thank you. Thank you for the difference that you make in the lives of our children and the lives of, of, our, of everybody who attends church here. You make a difference. And let, let me be very clear about that. If you volunteer in this church, you make a difference. And let me just say publicly, and I don't say this enough, thank you for what you do. But there's a bunch of you who have just been sitting on the sidelines. And, and, and you know, again, you've got your routine all worked out and everybody serves you and they serve your kids and they serve your teenagers and they make sure you got a bulletin and the lights are on and the sound is on and everything works and, and you're busy. And I, I understand that. But do you understand that every single Sunday that you attend, you are served by busy people? You are. And that's not to make you feel guilty, okay? I, I don't say that to make you feel guilty because Paul didn't write to the, to the church and say the, the guilt of Christ compels you. No, he didn't write that. He said the, the love of Christ compels you, okay? I want you to serve out of the love of Christ. But if you've been sitting on the sidelines, I need you to get, I need you to get off the sidelines. I need you to get into the game, into the volunteer game. I need you to be bold in your volunteering, which means I need you to consider volunteering in an area that maybe you never even considered volunteering in. Kind of sounds like Star Trek, doesn't it? I need you to go in places that you never considered going before. And, you know, we just need your information. You can fill out one of these Get Involved cards. We put these in the pews a couple weeks ago. You just fill it out. You fill it out and maybe mark in which team you're interested in. And we'll contact you. And I promise you, there are areas of ministry that you can serve in. And here's what I know for sure, that the kingdom of God is big enough for everybody to serve in. And here's what this doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that if you check off an area that we're going to say, okay, you signed up to serve, we're going to throw you in kids' church and say, hey, good luck, we'll see you in an hour. We're not going to do that to you, okay? We love our kids way too much to do that, all right? We do. We love our kids way too much to do that because what we do downstairs is way too important for that, okay? We, we love our kids way too much just to say, hey, you signed up to volunteer, we're going to throw you downstairs. No, because wh what we're doing downstairs, we're not babysitting our kids, okay? What we're doing downstairs, you need to understand this about what we're doing down there in our kids' wing. We're not babysitting children. We're, we are, what we're doing down there is we are building a, a biblical foundation. We are dropping an anchor so deep in their heart that when, when they get to middle school, they can only drift so far because they are anchored to God's Word. That when they get to high school, they're not going to want to leave their faith when they get to college. Okay? What we're doing is so important down there that we're not babysitting. We may, you may uh, say, hey, I want to volunteer in kids' church, and we may look at you and say, hey, Maybe we ought to find a different area for you. Maybe you're not qualified to teach our kids. And you'll still get credit. We'll say, hey, thanks, thanks for applying. And you'll get a gold star. And we'll say, hey, that was a great try and all that kind of stuff. But, but what we're doing down there is too important for that, okay? But we need you to be bold in your volunteering. Third thing I need you to do is to be bold in your generosity. To be bold in your giving. And let me just say this, because I know some of you were thinking it was just a matter of time before you got the money, right? Let me, 
let me say, let me be real clear about this. I need you to be bold in your giving, not because we need your money. Okay, not because we need your money. And I know that's like you never thought you'd hear a preacher say that, right? See, some of you don't give because you walk in and you go, good grief, look at this place. They don't need my money. And I got good news for you. We don't need your money. But we're, if we're going to engage more people in ministry, and if we're going to clothe the naked and we're going to feed the hungry, it's going to cost money. If we're going to continue to support ministries worldwide, it's going to cost money. If we're simply content to be a big church and to pay the staff and to pay the electric bill, then we're doing fine. But if we're going to leverage this unique, and, I, and I'm telling you, this unique opportunity that God has given us, it's going to cost money. And, the, and here's the great news. The money's in the bank. It's just in your bank. And listen, I am so incredibly grateful for the generosity of the people of this church. If you've ever given a dime to this church, I am so incredibly grateful for that. It absolutely blows me away at times. And yet often, the places that we, are, the places that we play the safest with in our spiritual life is our finances. The area where we are least likely to be bold in is our giving. We need you to be bold in your giving, not because the church needs your money, but because the ministry of the gospel still has work to be done, and it's going to take money to accomplish this work. The fourth thing, last thing that I want to talk to us about, about being bold, is in your prayers. And I want to tell you just specifically how I want you to pray. First, you can continue to pray all the, the things that we talked about a couple weeks ago in that, in that message about prayer, about praying bold prayers, um, all the selfish prayers, you know, Lord, help me to, to get there safely, you know, buckle up and all that kind of stuff, and I get an A on this test, and all of those things. You can pray all of those things. And after you're done with all of those prayers, I want you to think about the person that you know at work or in your neighborhood, the person that you, that you can't ever imagine darkening the door of a church. Go ahead and actually go ahead and think about that person right now because everybody's got one. Everybody immediately can think of that one person that, that you don't think would ever come to church. And I want you to start praying for that person every single day. Every single day, I need you to pray boldly for that person because nobody else is. Nobody else is praying for him or for her. Somebody ought to be praying for that person. That needs to happen. For those of you that are in the financial world, you're a stockbroker or you've got really just anything to do with finances. You work at a bank, whatever. You're just in that whole industry. I want you to pray boldly. I want you to pray that God would just dump millions of dollars into the local, into the local church of the United States. Whether it's this church, that would be great, but, what, but just churches across the United States that God would dump extra, just extraordinarily uh, extra amounts of dollars and that the churches that receive those monies would be extraordinarily good stewards of that money. There are millions and millions of dollars that could be used to transform communities and transform lives and transform homes and hospitals. And there are, there are hospitals that need to be rebuilt and churches that need to be rebuilt around the world, churches that need to be rebuilt in Haiti and, and all kinds of countries like that. The, the money is in the bank. So if you're in the financial service business, I want you to pray boldly. Pray for anything else you want to and then say, say God, would you, would you please move on the hearts of resources of people to give millions of dollars to the churches in, these country, in our country that, that know how to be good stewards to make sure that the next generation of churches is in better shape than the church was when it was handed to this generation. For those of you who are parents or are in the education system, 
I want you to pray bold prayers for our teenagers and for the adolescents of our country. Bold prayers that God would raise up the next generation of church leaders, that God would raise up the next generation of missionaries, that God would raise up the next generation of political leaders for, for this, from this generation of students. That this would be the generation of students to say, I get it. This, this would be the generation of, st- of students who would say, I'm not leaving the church after high school. Statistically, 70% of, of all high school graduates leave the church after high school graduation. That this would be the generation that says, I'm not doing that. I'm sticking with it. That God would do something unique in the hearts and the lives of teenagers in our country and as a local church that we would be so extraordinarily committed to that. But I want you to pray, pray bold prayers, not just about test and about getting into college of their choice all that stuff's going to work out but somebody's got to pray for the next generation so why not us and if you've got one at home or if you deal with one on a daily basis i want you, i want that to be your reminder wherever you are come on let's let's pray bold prayers we have such a short window of time we are blessed we have an opportunity it, it's so unique i can't even exaggerate how, how unique our opportunity is And we want to leverage it for everything we can for the sake of what's happened in our community and in our city and in our county and in our state and in our world. And at the beginning of this series, at the beginning of this series, we started in the book of Acts. And I want to finish our time together this next couple of minutes by reading to the final verses of the book of Acts. The book of Acts is how the story of of how the church began and the story ends in the book of Acts with Paul in prison. He's, he's arrested in Caesarea. He spends a couple of years there, and then he t- he's taken all the way up to Rome, and he gets shipwrecked, and it's an incredible story in Acts 28. If you want to read that for yourself, you can. But he gets to Rome, and he gets to Rome, and he's put in prison. But when he gets there, there's nobody there to charge him. He actually arrives in Rome before his charges do. And so he, the officials, they're not really even sure what to do with him, so they, they can't let him go because he's claimed to be a Roman citizen. And so they're like, well, we don't know really what to do with you, so we're going to put you under house arrest. And so they put, place him in, uh, in house arrest. They take him and they shackle him, his wrist or his ankles, we're not really sure. But they chain him to a Roman guard and they send him to a house. And so he gets there. And three days after he gets there, three days he's been shipwrecked under house arrest. And three days after he gets there, he sends out word to all the Jewish leaders in Rome and says, hey, why don't you all come visit me at my house? I'm here I'm under house arrest. I can't really go anywhere. It's hard to move this big old guy. Come, come visit me. And they say, and so they come, and they say, the reason we're here is we've heard so many bad things about this sect, this cult, this knockoff of, of Judaism. And we know that you're the ringleader about, of it. So tell us what this thing is all about. And Paul says, I'm so glad that you asked. Please, let, please stay and let me tell you what this thing is all about. And Paul begins to preach the gospel to these Jewish leaders in Rome. And he watches as he preaches. He watches their eyes and he begins to look at their body language and he realizes that they're not getting it. They're not buying it. They think he's crazy. Like they've heard that he was crazy and they, they think there's no way this could be true. That, true. There's no wonder that, that he's in, in chains. There's no wonder he's been arrested. And at the very end of the book of Acts, Luke writes for us this final statement, this final message in the history of the church that's recorded for us. And, and I want you to listen to how Paul ends his message. And when I read this, When I read this, I think, how in the world did he know? I mean, this is just a handful of people scattered across the world. They have no influence. They have no wealth. They they have no leverage. They're against the Jewish system, and they're against the Roman Empire. Everybody in the world is against them. Everybody hates them. How in the world could he have known? And yet, here's what he says, Acts 28, 28. 
He says, therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles. And, notice these three words, they will listen. He says to the Jewish people, God has done something in our midst. God has done something in your midst and you have rejected it. You, you've rejected your Messiah, but God is not finished. God is sending this message to the, to the Gentiles. And, and this is like a prophecy. He says, I'm giving you guys a heads up here in Rome. I'm giving you this heads up. The Gentiles, they're going to listen. They're going to embrace it. It's going to circle the globe. It's going to go worldwide. And here we are. 2,000 years later, here we are. Final verses in the book. Verse 30. It says, For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. And what did he talk about when they showed up? Verse 31. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Wait, Paul. Paul, wait. The Lord Jesus Christ. The same Lord Jesus Christ that caused you to be arrested. The same Lord Jesus Christ that caused you to be shipwrecked. The same Lord Jesus Christ that gave you a thorn in your flesh that wouldn't go away. That, that same Lord Jesus Christ you proclaimed his kingdom. I mean, what has God done for you lately, Paul? That, that's who he's talking about. You don't find any pity party. Where's God, where's God at? Why, why does bad things happen to good people? I mean, I'm a good person. I'm a missionary. I'm the number one spokesperson. You don't find any of that. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all, say it with me, with all boldness and without hindrance. In chains, knowing that at any moment they could take him down the road and cut his head off, which is eventually what happened, without boldness, or with boldness and without hindrance. He was released, rearrested, and Nero cut his head off. And the primary spokesman for the church was silenced, but not the church. The church was not silenced because the church is and was, continues to be a big deal. The church was God's idea. And we have been invited to be a part of it for our generation. So let's pray bold prayers. Let's, let's give boldly. Let's serve boldly. Let's invite boldly because we have been invited to be a part of this thing that God has begun and will continue to the very end of this age. So would you stand with me and pray that same prayer that we prayed at the very beginning of this series. This, this prayer of boldness. Would you, would you pray that prayer with me? Would you? Would you put it on the screen? Here it is. Would you pray this with me? Father, enable me to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you sing with us?